Hello again, friends, and welcome to Journal Sessions on the Bold Love Podcast with Pastor Bob Roberts, Jr. Journal Sessions is a weekly podcast that features a look inside Pastor Bob's journal on the things that he's been praying and thinking deeply about, along with some fun stories from his journey. But first off the top today, I wanted to talk about a little bit of relevant news for you today. Pastor Bob was honored last week by the White House, receiving the Uniter Award. Now, the Uniter Award was presented to select Americans working to bring their communities together across lines of religious, political, or other differences to prevent acts of hate-fueled violence, promoting healing where such violence has had devastating consequences, and to build unity. What an honor for Pastor Bob. If you want to check out more about this award, you can go to bobrobertsjr.com for more information on that. So, it is fitting that on this week's journal session, Pastor Bob details out what the Bible says about being a peacemaker, about being a uniter, a bridge builder, and why this type of work is so important during this moment in time. Enjoy and take a listen. Today I want to talk to you about being a uniter. I was at the White House last week and I got an award with 16 other people for being a uniter, people who brought people together. Another word for that is peacemaker. You know, being a conservative evangelical and getting an award from a Democrat administration, having gotten the Friendship Medal from the Communist Vietnamese government, and multiple peace award for Muslim nations. I just can't seem to get the right awards from the right people. And so Josh and I thought it'd be a good idea to talk about what does it mean to be a uniter, someone who can bring people together instead of a divider? Did you know that now in American history, the church is no longer seen as a uniter, but it's seen as a divider? How do we unite? What are the implications? How do we make peace? And what's lost if we don't make peace? A perfect illustration of this is Vietnam. Did you know that during World War II, when the Japanese would shoot our planes down that would be over South China and North Vietnam, it was Ho Chi Minh that saved so many American pilots. As a matter of fact, many of the pilots who were shot down would come back and, and send messages to Roosevelt saying, you need to work with Ho Chi Minh. He wants to be our friend. He's a good man. We need to see what we can do to work together. And so there was some quiet correspondence between FDR and Ho Chi Minh. And there was this commitment that after the war, the French would not be allowed back in to colonize and, and make their life difficult. But then Roosevelt dies, Truman takes over, and that whole agreement is forgotten. And so as a result, what does Vietnam do? They look to someone who will support them. Who will support them? The Russians will. And some people argue that communism was more of a response to American abandonment of a nation that wanted to be one than it was of a philosophical uh, philosophy that they held for their country. We missed an opportunity. And after World War II, what happens? The very thing that we fought against the Nazis for doing to the French, we allowed the French to go back to Vietnam, continue to colonize, and frankly, make life a living hell for Vietnamese. Can you imagine what different the story would have been had that opportunity for peace that had been expressed by FDR and Ho Chi Minh been able to work out? Perhaps we would have missed an entire Vietnamese war, but we missed the opportunity. We fail to understand that when we don't make peace and when we don't unite, it's not just about the specific issue that we find ourselves in, but it's also about future implications for things that get out of control. Jesus, 
He's called the Prince of Peace. Ephesians 6.16 says that it's the gospel of peace. And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, the magnum opus of all that he taught, Matthew 5.9, Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons and daughters, that's the implication, of God. In other words, you're most like your heavenly Father. You're most like Jesus. You're living out the work of the Holy Spirit most when you're making peace with people. The reality is the only people that we're supposed to really be prophetic against is the body of Christ. Scriptures make it clear. Hey, Peter says, if we're going to judge, let's let it start with the household of God. The reality is God will judge the world without Christ. We hold one another accountable. And yet, why is it we talk so little about peacemaking and uniting as if it's something on the left? No, it's something on the center. And every one of us are involved in peacemaking. I don't care if it's our marriage or our schools or, or our local politics or how we get along with our next door neighbors. We're all involved in peacemaking. What makes a good peacemaker? Let me give you seven things. Number one, a really good peacemaker is someone who's been broken and really hurt, but they healed from it. Most peacemakers are really good because they know what it's like to be wounded. They know what it's like to hurt. They know what it's like to be on the outside. And so they have an unusual amount of empathy for anybody. They can love them. I remember the first time I went to Vietnam, our church was praying about working there. I didn't want to go to Vietnam. I was only there because some of our members were, were wanting to go, and I, I did not want to be there. I remember when I landed in Ho Chi Minh City, how that I looked out and thought about that tarmac, that Air Force base that was now a public base uh, for, for, for their uh, public trans, transport. And I remember thinking about all those bodies that were probably lined up. I got angry. The bodies, the soldiers that, that were, were on the tarmac waiting to be put in airplanes 20 years earlier. And I remember thinking to myself, I, I didn't like the Vietnamese. But you know what I learned? I got to know them, and I realized that they were people who'd been hurt. I mean, the Chinese had, 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 had basically ruled them for a 1,000 years. The French, almost 200, and Americans were there for 15 years. We really weren't there that long at all when you understand their history. But they were people who'd been hurt, who'd been wounded. So uh, uh, the first thing about somebody who's a good peacemaker is they know pain. They understand rejection. And so there's empathy that they have. The second thing is they're a really good listener. Uh, they don't try to come up with solutions. Your goal as a peacemaker is not to come up with a solution. It's to listen to both sides and help them find their solution. But in order to do that, you've got to do far more listening than talking. Peacemaker is not a preacher, not a lecturer, uh, not somebody telling everybody what they're doing wrong. It's somebody who has empathy and can listen. Third, a good peacemaker can keep confidence. They don't go out and tell everybody, hey, I'm working with this group or I'm working with that group. They keep their mouth shut. A lot of times we want to talk. And the very things that we could help the most, if people don't feel like that there's confidence there or that something is going to be shared outside of that meeting, they're not going to open up. But if we're quiet and we listen and we listen with empathy, you'll be amazed at what people tell you. You have to have the ability to keep confidence and not be shocked. 
sometimes I've worked with people around the world and people right next door to me. And they've told me things that I've gone, wow, I can't believe this. But the whole time it is, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. You have to keep confidence, not be shocked, and know that you're there to, 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 to be a peacemaker. Because what a peacemaker is doing, you're healing a broken relationship or, or, or something that's broken. Fourth, you have to be abreast of the issue at hand and educated about it. A lot of times I'll go to a country where I'm doing peacemaking. And I'll read a history of that country. I'll go eat the food. I try to find someone from that country because they can help me understand that country, what it's like. Uh, my wife is about to go to a sensitive country to work with women. And I was uh, checking out at a at a, a department store the other day, and there was somebody from that country. And I said, oh, my wife is going to go to your country and work with Christian and Muslim women there. And the next thing I know, the lady was so excited. She wanted to meet my wife. I called my wife. She came up to the store. I introduced her. That lady is going to be invaluable to my wife, helping her understand the conflicts and the controversies and, and how it got there and, and some do's and some don'ts. A peacemaker, you're a learner. I mean, you're reading things. One of the things that I've learned a lot to do, I love to read literature from countries where I'm going to go work because the poetry and their history, there are things that you feel and you can't understand without understanding those things. Fifth, You've got to see the difference between facts and experiences. Facts and experiences. Facts are facts. There are no alternative facts. Facts are facts. What are the facts? But the reality is somebody's experiences sometimes are far more powerful than what the facts are. I'll never forget a man who's a, a very significant uh, Vietnamese leader in the government now. Many years ago, we were both really young. And, you know, I was raised with a particular view of communism, and we were at war with communism and this sort of thing. And I remember asking him one day, why do you believe this? I mean, you, you have to get permission to do this. And in America, we have these freedoms and those freedoms. And he said, Bob, the difference in me and you is, had you been nine years old like me in Hanoi, watching the B-52s fly over your city, bombs explode behind you while you're running, and you feel the heat, and it literally singes your hair on your head. And he showed me a scar on his arm. And you get a deep gash in your arm because you're trying to run away from the airplane. Bob, trust me, you wouldn't think positive things about capitalism. You know, as I listened to him, I thought, he's right. And a lot of times as a peacemaker, you're not dealing with facts. You're dealing with experiences and stories and narratives You've got to listen to that and be sensitive to that. Six, friendship. Friendship. The best kind of peacemaking is done is with friends. The hardest peacemaking to do is where you parachute in and you're asked to help someone in a particular situation. A lot of times I get called on to do peacemaking because people know I'm friends with this country or that country or this government or that person or that religious leader. And because there's relationships that are established it opens the door. This is why you need to be friends with lots of diverse people, because it's an opportunity for you to be a healer, to restore the relationship. And as friends, especially when you have friends that are on both sides, you can see both sides to that issue. For years, I've worked in the West Bank in Israel, and I've always told the Israelis, I'll always support the security of Israel. I love Israel. But then I discovered there's some people of equal population called Palestinians, who've been there long before the nation of Israel was there. I love them as well. You don't have to pick sides. As a matter of fact, 
You just need to love both sides with all your being and all your essence. And sometimes you'll challenge one side more than the other, depending upon what the situation is. The final characteristic of a good peacemaker is they read people. They really read people well. That's part of what being quiet is about. It's, it's listening to what's said, but it's also listening to tone. It's watching facial expressions. And when you're reading people, all of a sudden, there are these moments that are really going to break through. And in those moments, wow, you are going to be able to read them and know, all right, something was just su suggested. How did the person receive it? Is this something that we can build on? The whole time that I'm in a, in a situation where I'm trying to do peacemaking or, or building bridges, I'm always reading moments. L let me tell you, I pray more in those situations any other time. I'm saying, Jesus, let me be a peacemaker like you. Father, help me to love them, created in your image. Holy Spirit, speak through me. Help me to see those divine moments. And when I do, wow, good things happen. So let me give you very quickly six facts about peacemaking and being a uniter. Number one, compromise is not a dirty word. Contrary to what you've heard, it's not. I think about God calling Israel back to himself. Uh, Isaiah 1, 18 through 20, come now, let us reason together. Come on, let's sit down, let's talk. Let's just use some common sense. Compromise is good. I wish we understood that in our country. We need one another. We don't need one party. We need two parties where we're challenging one another. Second of all, peacemaking is not a spiritual calling. It's for everybody. It's a lifestyle issue for a disciple of Jesus. It's in the Sermon on the Mount. Don't think, well, I'm not a peacemaker. Yes, you are. If you follow Jesus, you're a peacemaker. I don't like how we compartmentalized. These are the people who lead people to Jesus. and These are the generous people who give over here. No, it's all of what Jesus calls us for all of us. Peacemaking is should be what makes you different. Third, the more you do it, the better you get at it. Now, I got some good news for you. It's true. If you're over 40, you're going downhill, guys, gals. Sorry. Uh, your peak intelligence, it's over. Math, science, uh, management, all of these things. Oh, I'm so depressed. I'm 64. But here's the good news I've got for you. Did you know your ability to acquire wisdom just continues to increase? A lot of people get older and they don't want to let go of, of, of different things. And what they don't understand is the greatest thing in the world is wisdom. And if you've been building that your whole life, you're going to always be relevant. And the more you do it, the better you become at peacemaking. This is something you get better the older you get. Now, you've got to master yourself. If you've not mastered yourself and you've got rough edges and you're an angry person or a jealous person or an envious person... No, nah, you're not going to have much wisdom. You're going to become a bitter, old, grungy, grumpy person. Don't be like that. You don't want to. You don't want to be like that. You want to be loving and gentle and kind as you get older. So the more you get older and the more you do this, the better you're going to get. Fourth, you're going to have to be willing to get your reward in heaven. Your best peacemaking stories, you're not going to be able to talk about. You'll never be able to tell anyone, and, and that's okay. Because you'll get a reputation for being a good peacemaker, and people will know that. And 
There'll be other situations and they'll say, hey, this guy can really help you. This gal's really good. And I won't say a word. You can trust them. You know what I've discovered? I do work with the world leaders. They are longing for people they can talk to and say anything they want and know that you're not going to go out and share it or make it a sermon illustration or brag about it or talk about it. Your best peacemaking it's going to be things you can never tell anyone about. And that's okay. Uh, it, so it's good that what that means is you're going to have to be able to be a very humble person and keep those confidences and just know that you're living for the kingdom. Fifth, I love this. The benefits of peacemaking far go far beyond the situation you're trying to resolve. I stumbled onto this verse a few years ago, and I put it in my journal every year. James 3.18, there is a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. In other words, when you bring a situation together, you just don't heal the rift. Now there are endless possibilities of how we can work together. One of the most obvious illustrations I see this are racial issues in our country. Can you imagine if we deal with the racial issue, how much more we can do around the world, Africa, with a billion plus people, the first Christian continent? Think about refugees. We get all upset over refugees. Refugees, they could be the opportunity of America into the next century because the whole world isn't white. And as we welcome people of different ethnicities from around the world that are educated. Most people don't understand many of the, the refugees that are coming. I mean, they're doctors and they're engineers and they're lawyers. They're a blessing to us. They're building our government and our economy. And, and, and the world is going to be global, whether we want it to or not. To have people who live, who are connected to other countries is not a negative thing. It's a fantastic thing for America. All the positive that can come, if we can resolve some of these issues, oh, wow. What kind, of, what kind of a country could we be? Finally, the peacemaker has to also understand sometimes they may become the peace offering. And that's okay. That's okay. Somebody asked me, Bob, why do you wear beards? And yeah, sometimes I wear them because I go crazy places. And a beard helps. But if we're not willing to go to the hard places and people that disagree, how are we going to get along? And I look at our country, it's so polarized right now. It makes me sad when I hear Christians say, there can't be a such thing as a Christian who's a Democrat. That's just crazy. I know a lot of pro-life Democrats. And they, some of them say, how can you be a Christian and be a Republican? You know, all you care about is, is pro-life is abortion. You don't care about refugees and others. We need to hear that as Republicans. And, and we need to hear it as Democrats about abortion and let me tell you something. We need to be missionaries to whatever tribe God puts us in. If we can understand that, guys, we're called to be salt and light scattered across the world and across our country, not concentrated in one little tube. It's light and salt that's dispersed and dispensed. But when we love like Jesus and we're willing to bring people together and, and, and invite it into spaces, it's hard. It's dangerous. Your own tribe can come after you. The ultimate peacemaker, Jesus. The Prince of Peace. Let me read to you Ephesians 2, verse 14. I love this. For he himself is our peace, Jesus is, who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh 
the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commands expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, soul-making peace might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. You see, a peacemaker goes into every conflict saying, hey, if it means I'm the peace offering like Jesus, so be it. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, our society is so polarized and it's broken and our, our country is in a bad place. We know it. Here's what I pray, Jesus. Would you raise up an army of peacemakers? I pray for people that are 50 and above who've got a lot of life experiences and, and wisdom that they have courage to challenge their own tribes. I pray for young people who are following you that, that look at what's going on and they see it as an opportunity to bring peace. Father, help them not to follow the polarization of their parents, but instead help them to be young, bright, loving peacemakers. Father, we're just going to keep spiraling down and becoming bitter and angry and harsh and polarized and violent until some of us who follow you say enough and we start living in the context of being peacemakers and looking for how we can live together. May those of us that are listening to this podcast be those people is my prayer. In your, in your name, Jesus, I pray this. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for Journal Sessions with Pastor Bob Roberts Jr. on the Bold Love Podcast. If you were impacted by this conversation, we would like to ask a favor. First, if you found this episode impactful, please share it on social media and recommend it to a friend. Second, like most podcasts, we are able to make these impactful conversations happen with support from partnering organizations and individuals like you. If you felt led to support these type of conversations, you can do so now and give at support.boldlovepodcast.com. Whether it's a seasonal gift or a monthly donation, we are so thankful for you. For more information on this podcast, show notes, and any other references, you can go to boldlovepodcast.com to get all the information there. We appreciate you joining us. And remember, on the Bold Love Podcast, we encourage you to live out your faith boldly, learn how to better love your neighbor, and learn how to relate to others despite your differences without compromising your faith. See you next time.